Well, very good to have you on Forbidden Conversations, Adam. <laughs> I guess we're going to have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. We started talking originally. I think you reached out to me because I think I was whining a lot on Twitter or complaining <laughs> a lot or something like that. It sounds characteristics of me. And um or or I think I probably wrote a piece at the time too that was about how I was starting to feel lonely in the current atmosphere, what was going on, where mm -hmm. it seemed like people were just getting more radicalized, including the people that I knew who were fighting the radicalization uh, that they were seeing more on the left, where it's sort of where I kind of come from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it, it was feeling kind of lonely. And you were one of the people who sort of reached out to me, uh, expressing <laughs> that uh, you were feeling much the same way. What's interesting, you actually weren't the only one who who had reached out <laughs> to me with that sentiment. So um, I imagine that, that you were, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I think that's a good thing. And it's good and bad. I mean, obviously that means I'm right. Uh, and it's good to be right, but I would rather be wrong about this. Uh, but it's also good that other people were noticing this and becoming more aware because it kind of gives me hope for the future. Uh, but what what were you picking up during that time? Um, I was picking up a lot of hypocrisy. Uh, a lot of the things, like the very first thing I started noticing a while ago was, you know, especially during the peak of COVID in, in 2020, um, you know, BLM and all this stuff was going on. The one thing that people were complaining about is they felt like they, they couldn't say how they really felt, right? And I was one of those people that's, that's what led for me to actually be sitting here in front of you was I wrote my book and my book was a, a way for me to express myself because I felt like I couldn't say what I really wanted to say. Um, and it was me trying to express myself and put it out there. And this is how I ended up here. But that message was turned into being uh, pro-free speech. And what I'm also seeing is the same people who are saying they're pro-free speech are all for shutting down people's speech when they don't approve of it. And I'm just like, wait a second, weren't you the same people who were, we were just on the side of fighting so I, I just came to a realization that people are always for stuff when it benefits them, right? And the people who are being oppressed at the time are always fighting for freedom. But once they become the people who have power, then all of a sudden it's like, well, not everybody, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it, that's the, the, the free speech angle was something that was really, really profound for me when I started seeing that. Um, and they don't even see it. That's the part that's very interesting. They don't even understand that they're doing the exact thing that they criticize other people for doing. Why do you think they're so blind to it? Because I've noticed that too, because I'll point it out to them, which gets them angrier at me, but uh, <laughs> which is fine. They can be angry at me, but um, but they really, I think, genuinely don't see it. So what do you think it is that makes them sort of blind to that? Well, I'll answer your question from a different angle, because which. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you say that you're like a disaffected liberal, so to speak? What, what does it mean, disaffected, uh, in, that, in that way? 
Um, maybe at one point in time you were like, yes, I am this. And now you're kind of like, I don't know where I'm at. Just like, well, okay. So that's why I wanted to clarify. Cause I know okay. Tim Pool calls himself a disaffected liberal and I think he's turned something else. Uh, I don't <laughs> consider him a liberal anymore. So that's why I wanted yeah. to clarify. Cause I think my values haven't really changed. Um, mm -hmm. so I think. I still see myself in alignment with a lot of the same ideas that I, that I held before. What mm -hmm. I'm not liking is that people are not sticking to the fundamentals of that. So that's yes. why I, I kind of question that because I still see myself, especially after hanging out, out a lot with conservatives, because there was a point at which I was like, Oh, there's a lot. I agree with you guys. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a part of me that's a little bit conservative. And then mm -hmm. the more time I spend around conservatives, the more I realize, okay, I, I clearly am not conservative, even though maybe there's some areas of agreement I can have. Um, I see myself as still a liberal, I guess, though I, though I really prefer an all you can eat kind of buffet where you pick a little bit from menu A, menu yes. B. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because I'm much in the same boat as you. That's my history as well. Um, and so for us, because we're not, we're not in that side and we chose to, or maybe we were forced to kind of move away from one particular side, we've seen certain things and where these people, maybe they've always been Republicans or always been conservative and they only see their perspective and they don't realize that the same nonsense is happening on the other side or they're wrong, and guess what? You can be wrong too. You know, they, they have a hard time seeing it from the other, other uh, angle. And so I think that's the disconnect. The disconnect is that it's hard for them to put themselves in other people's shoes and, and be critical of their side because it's their side. And anytime there's any sort of demographic or, um, we, I, you know, in my book, I talk a little bit about race where there is a hesitancy to criticize your own race or maybe your own people, your own nationality, whatever, because it's like a reflection on you, you know? And so, yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, and you don't want to do it in a public way. You don't want to acknowledge it in a public way. So it's, it's very easy to put blinders on. Um, it's much like you can recognize that your kid's a jerk. But when someone else comes over and tells you that your kid's a jerk, you feel a little bit different about it. And so some parents just avoid the reality that their kid's a jerk and they do nothing yeah. about it. He's like, no, he's this angel. He's every, everything's great. It's like, no, clearly something is wrong with this kid. Um, and so it's us. We're the jerks now because we're telling them that their kid, <laughs> their kid's not perfect either. <laughs> right, um, right. So, and I think maybe I'm, I'm one of those parents who's much more capable maybe of of seeing my kid as the jerk that they really are yeah 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 <laughs> i'm a I'm terrible very... parent <laughs> <laughs> um i'm like that with my son i'm very realistic with him um and i'm very open honest with him but um i think that's that's the issue um because we we weren't you know from day one of being into politics staunch republicans or conservatives um We've seen that there's one side, clearly they're flawed, which doesn't mean that the other side is perfect. It means that if one side is flawed, well, chances are the other side is somewhat flawed as well, 
let's just see how flawed it is. And, and that's where the, that's where I kind of lie. I'm somewhere in the middle myself where I'll say this, what, what's very interesting to me is that, you know, we talk about the media partisanship and people, you know, if you're a conservative, you watch Fox news or, or Newsmax or whatever. And if you're a liberal, you, you only watch MSNBC, CNN. But by doing that, they don't realize that the same tactics are happening on both sides. Right. And I've, I've said to people on the left, when I was a Democrat, they would say, um, we need to do this to save democracy. On the right, they say, we need to do this to save our nation. <laughs> you know, it's just like, just swap the word, like whatever you want to put it. 100%. They all use this the same tactics. And I'm like, you guys don't even see this because you don't pay attention to what's actually going on. And they don't pay attention to it because as much as they think that one side is in this cult and, and is just doing things, should be doing things, I can point out the same behavior that's happening on the other side. Um, I've written about the level of nihilism that exists that's actually somewhat unique on the right. There's a, there's a romanticization of being the underdogs that exists on the right that did not exist on the left from what I noticed. If there was a problem that was happening on the left, it was here is what we're going to do or we're, we're going to protest, we're going to do this. It was about things that they, we need to do and we're going to do. On the right, it's look what's being done to us. Yes. And, <laughs> Which know. was exactly the same thing that was probably happening a while back, right? When there was this kind of idea of victimhood that was happening which was in some ways true, right? Uh, because mm -hmm. there was, well, and there still is racism and discrimination. So, so for example, with the left, there were certain points of time where there was less power. So, mm -hmm. and which is why the left traditionally was much more uh, of an advocate for freedom of speech, for example, right? And I think that's what happened. Whatever side does not have the power at any <laughs> given moment, they're like, yeah, we want freedom of speech because the oppressor uh, is the is the group that shuts that down. Right now, you know, the left, I would say, has more control of many of the institutions, even though, uh, you know, in terms of power, uh, like political power, that seems to alternate a bit. Um, but, you know, but in terms of institutional power, I would say it would be fair to say that the left has a bit more of that or a fair bit more of that. Um, yeah. And so the right has sort of been, well, no, we're sort of, they're feeling oppressed. And so they fight for that. So they're now like this, these freedom fighters. But as soon as they start feeling like, okay, now we're getting a little bit of power, you see how the dynamic starts to change again. And mm -hmm. you see that in certain states where they start instituting certain rules. And so to me, it's like, I, I keep saying, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, whoever has the power seems to behave in pretty much the same ways in terms of what they do with it. You know, yeah. beliefs might be different, but, but, the, but the way that people behave with that power, that seems to be consistently the same. Yeah. And there's a difference between people like I've, I always say that there's a difference between Democrat politicians and Democrat voters. And what's very interesting, this is one of the things that people don't put themselves in other people's shoes. On the right, they will say uh, there's rhinos that exist in the party. There are these um, globalists, uh, you know, 
elitist that exists in our party. And so this is what they're doing to our party and it makes our selection even less. And, and you know, maybe they're saying Trump is the only guy and blah, blah, blah. But they, what they're pointing at is that there is no, there is no unity within the party as far as approach and so on and so forth. Yet when they look at the Democrats, they think that they're all in line. They have everything right. together. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like. You Democrats, you think this. You leftists. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, man, how do you guys not understand? Like, I, there's, there's a reason, like, if you read my tweets, I point out that I'm generally not criticizing liberals. I'm criticizing progressives because the people they're talking about are not liberals. <laughs> well, know. and I try to point that out, too, because one of the things is like for the longest time. So, A, I used to never speak about any of these things, right, until mm -hmm. about two and a half years ago, maybe. And when I did, originally, I didn't give any kind of political identity to myself. I was very right. vague. And part of that was because I really didn't want to ascribe any identity to myself. So it wasn't like I was trying to hide it from people. I just really you know, it was like, I, I just don't identify it as anything. I hate you all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was my identity to a certain extent. But I decided to now be a little bit more open, A, because I was out, you know, people started calling me liptard and things like that. And, and of course, <laughs> on the left, they think I'm a, you know, conservative. But um, if I get a little bit more attacked these days, I think more on the right. Uh, but, but I think... I've realized that it's kind of important to model a type, a prototype, let's say, of, mm -hmm. of somebody who is more of a liberal and isn't the person that they point to and say, well, that's, you know, that's a leftist, that's a liptard, you know, because mm -hmm. my views are not consistent with whatever the boogeyman that was painted. You know, I am somebody who's willing to have conversations with, uh, regardless if that person is a socialist or a person who's on even the far right, I'll talk to them, you know, because I'm kind of curious to know what they think and where they come from. I certainly don't agree with many of the yeah. views, but uh, we don't have to. And I'll also am understanding of some of the perspectives even, and I can, you know, even if I don't want to live by the same values, um, and also I can agree on some points as well. And I want to find common ground with the people who are more reasonable on, on both spectrums. And I think it's important to show that. And also for the liberals, uh, because majority, when I talk to people, I, I want to represent the fact that, um, most people are really stable and sane and, yeah. not, and not the <laughs> characters that, being portrayed as most people have much more reasonable views than people believe them to have and so i feel like the world is kind of overtaken by these loud radical voices and on, on both sides that do mm -hmm. not represent most people but people don't want to stick out they don't want to be public personas they don't want to go and talk about politics and it's like a dangerous thing to talk about because look what happens and right. so it's it's a scary reality for most people, but it doesn't mean that most people, just because they are somewhat silent, uh, think things that are, uh, you know, radical. And also, most people are not 
on Twitter. <laughs> you know, yeah. they don't feel the need to fill their days with like endless addictive tweets. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, or to, to add in another piece, a lot of people just do not care. <laughs> that's like that's I, also I, true. I, I've I try to talk to I try to tell people I've, I've tweeted this when I see something really ridiculous. I'm like, one, go outside. <laughs> like, do you have a job? Do you like meet people? Do people sound like this? And I've even said stuff where, like, in regards to race, like my book is about race, but it it's in some ways it's about deeper deeper than that. But I talk a lot about ideology. I talk about behavioral patterns. I talk about things of that nature. But in no way, and I even clarify in the book, in no way am I talking about every black person that ever exists thinks this particular way. If we were to have an honest conversation, I think that some of the stuff that I'm talking about is about a segment of the population that has some sort of influence or that exists that I'm critiquing. But it's not everything. It's not everybody. And I would say the vast majority of these people do not care about the things that I am talking about. And even down to like, we'll talk about how the things are inconsistent. On the right, they talk about how CNN and MSNBC, it's all propaganda, it's all propaganda. But then they believe the CNN propaganda when it comes to BLM. They believe yeah. the MSNBC propaganda when it comes to BLM, that there's a massive amount of black activists <laughs> and the, you know, like, like black people just walking around with Black Lives Matter shirts on and we're all su super supporting behind it. And statistically, I mean, there's, there's studies show that this isn't even true. And if you go outside and you actually met black people, you would see that this is not true either. Um, when I talk to <laughs> black people, like that is not the narrative that I hear from them at all, like at right. all. <laughs> Yeah, I've yet to meet. Uh, I mean, I've heard from maybe some who want to, you know, who don't like cops, but uh, but I've generally, well, but I've also heard the opposite. I've much more. I would say I would. Heard, I usually hear how they're upset that there's less police presence in communities. Uh, where there's, you know, that are uh, need more police presence because of higher crime, and these are right. just average normal people. That's not like a political. Those are not political statements at all. These are just average people. So it's it's completely misrepresented, and that's the right. problem. We have very distorted perceptions of what people think and reality, both both right. Because how do we get it unless we're directly talking? Well, even that's not so accurate. Like I get my perception of reality from, well, TV, media, Twitter, and talking to people, which I think mm -hmm. of that the most accurate is talking to just everyday people. But I'm limited to how many people I can talk to. I'm limited to what diversity of people I can talk to. You know, I yeah. always brag about the Uber driver when I travel. I love talking to Uber drivers because it's kind of representative of just the average person. Um, and I and I feel like that gives me a better sense of like the average person in a city than anything else does. But, um, you know, but it, even that is, you know, very limited and it's kind of luck of the draw. And, you know, at the end of the day, how many Ubers am I taking or how many interactions am I having with just random people? Um, so it's, it's very difficult issue to solve because uh, our 
because we are so failed by uh, narrative makers, as I guess I would call them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that comes from whether it's media, uh, whether it's the media outlets that are mainstream or the people who we now, you know, people are like, well, independent media, those are our saviors. You know, they tell the truth, the real truth. But those have an even greater incentive generally to spin things because they are, uh, you know, supported by people who want a particular kind of narrative, a particular bias. So it's getting right. even harder. Uh, so I don't, I, you know, as someone who runs an independent media platform, um, I think I am trying to cultivate an environment that is honest. See, I have no problem with like, let's say, MSNBC. I have no problem with MSNBC. If they want to exist and they want to cater to a particular audience, cater to the audience, but be honest with your audience. I'm I'm more in favor of an, out, an outlet like the Daily Wire. They say we are a conservative outlet. Yeah. Thank you for the honesty. At least you're telling us what it is. But what's, what's happening um, is from certain mainstream outlets. They say, no, 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 we are the arbiters of truth. <laughs> we just call, you know, strikes and balls. And it's like, clearly you're not. Um, there's been a lot of things that you've gotten wrong. There's been a lot of things that you you said in a particular lean that were inflammatory because it suits your narrative. It suits the very thing that you want to talk about. Um, so I have no problem necessarily with partisan media as long as it's honest, to be honest with you. Um, I don't have... Um an issue per se with partisan media if they're honest about it uh as long as the audience isn't fooled by it like the audience needs to be more aware that what they're getting isn't quote unquote the truth but a partisan version and ideally they'd be looking at multiple sources to kind right. of get to make their sense of the world so i'm okay like if i went to daily wire for example and then i go to msnbc or whatever my sources mm -hmm. are um then that's okay and and because you can't get you know because right now there's not a lot of um, news sources that I would consider to be truly striving to, to you know, tell fully truth. And even if they were, um, yeah, I don't think it's probably 100% uh, possible, though I would like to see more sources do try to do that truly in a nonpartisan way. And I have some ideas of how that could be done. And I think that does need to happen on a more mass scale. So I would like to see some of that. And I would like to see some outlets that go towards that. That said, it's okay for something like the Daily Wire to exist. It's okay for a Fox to exist. It's okay for a MSNBC to exist or any, um, you know, um, on the left, there's a, a, a is it product, not protocol. Um, Oh, shush. shush. <laughs> I see me <laughs> trying not to swear. That came out really funny. Uh, but there's uh, there's uh, there's a few that I that I subscribe to as well that are do a good job, but very, you know, it don't hide their leftist leanings. Right. But they do right. a good job. Um, and and that's fine because they're very blatant about it right they're very yeah. transparent but audiences also need to be very aware and that so it's a part transparency on behalf of the media outlet 
which I agree, Daily Wire is. And part of it is the audience not fooling themselves into going, well, that is the truth. Because clearly it is not. It, well, it, it ha can have elements of the truth, sure. Right. Um, just because it's biased doesn't mean it can't tell any truth. Um, but um, but I also would like to see more media outlets that do kind of center on non-ideological uh, truth-telling, which we currently, you know, we have some that, attempt and fail and and sometimes i don't think they know <laughs> that they're doing that like like i don't know for example if every okay let's take the new york times right uh, we can see blatant examples and i think some writers who go into it are do see themselves blatantly as activists and they will say so openly and therefore are more ideologically driven in their reporting and then mm -hmm. there are definitely people who aren't but might do some make these I, i'll call them errors in their uh reporting their judgment because of uh bias that they're maybe less aware of and then there is also reporters that i think do a good job and strive to live up to really good high editorial standards and there are some editorial standards at these mainstream uh, media publications as well. If if the editors, especially with more of the old school editors uh, yeah. who are being kind of pushed out or, you know, leaving because they're getting older. Uh, so you're seeing, you know, greater transformation inside the industry, unfortunately. Yeah. And one thing I want to add, and I think this is uh, where I think I fit in. Well, actually, let me make one statement. So the, mm -hmm. the only issue that I have is the uh, mixing together of actual news and opinion. Yes. And that's the part, because there are times where they, they, they're trying to show you like breaking news and you're like, okay, you know, when, where, how, that kind of thing. But it's laced with all different types of opinion, uh, you know, type of language. And so that's the part where I'm just like, I don't, I don't like this. I write opinion pieces, put it in the opinion section so we know that this is opinion. But they try to, you know, try to massage it. Uh, um, oh, 100%. And you can, yeah. and that stuff is very like obvious, like uh, you can objectively find that, right? Because yeah. even the wording that's used, uh, Rolling Stone is one of the most egregious kinds of uh, publications that does this because it's like all opinion, but a lot of them, most of them now do this. And, and it didn't used to be quite the case. Again, like because I worked in the journalism side of things, like the editors that I worked with, they would call me, like I would sometimes mess up right because i was learning mm -hmm. and um and it wasn't like really bad blatant things but it was but it was just making you know statements over things that i just couldn't right in my uh, i couldn't draw conclusions from the information that was given so and right. there were small things but i would be called on that in my edits and it made me a better writer and that's like that's how you learn right and that's why and that's why you need these editors like you don't have to learn journalism in a school but you have to learn it somehow and you learn mm -hmm. it from working with really good editors and I had, I was fortunate that in the beginning, I did have some really good editors. And over time though, 
you know, I can even say, you know, part of it is like, okay, I had more experience, so I needed less editing, and they they didn't need to spend so much time with me. But part of it is also they just didn't have the resources, and also the editors. Um, a lot of the editors I was working with were younger, less experienced. Mm -hmm. The edits they would make were not anything. If if they were to make edits, it wasn't about the same stuff. And um, the way that the good edits they used to get were in questions, you know, <laughs> and questions would make me learn because they would question me on things like, can you really say that? Can you draw these conclusions based on these things? Um, mm -hmm. It was really critical thinking kind of edits in many ways. And, yeah. and they had higher standards and that is just all gone. And, um, and I think that's why we see journalism sort of getting so much worse. Uh, on top of like, yes, a lot of the journalists coming into this openly say, yeah, we want to be activists. You're seeing opinion pieces as opposed to reporting or news. Even the things that I wrote, because I, I didn't, I wrote some news, but mostly I was writing features. Mm -hmm. But my features didn't really contain much opinion. Like, you know, there's going to be always elements of opinion because you frame things a certain way and what you pick to write about, there's elements of opinion in that. But, you know, if I'm interviewing someone, I'm telling their story, you know, right. it was not about me. Um, and now I think it's kind of about the reporter so much more mm -hmm. than it is about the, the person. Like I never, you know, if I'm writing about, <laughs> I wrote a story about, I don't know, uh, LGBTQ filmmaking, you know, none of the opinion, none of that story is about any of my thoughts on that topic. It was completely the thoughts of the people I was interviewing. Yeah. None of my stories, I think you can go back. It's like, it's none of it is my views. I mean, that's, you were doing it how you were supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it was driven by curiosity, right? Like right. the reason I got into journalism was because I was curious. I wanted to learn and I wanted to tell the stories of other people. I didn't have a particular like desire to tell my own story or my own point of view. Now, mm -hmm. editorials, opinion pieces, which now I write a lot more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's all my opinions. Yeah. I almost get upset when people, you know, read my Substack and they go, oh, you write such good journalism. You do great reporting. Like, I, I'm quickly put that down. Like, thank you. But, you know, that's not reporting. That's not really that's that's all opinion. Right. Yeah. Those are essays. <laughs> those are opinions. That's not the same thing. And right. it's important to draw that very clear distinction. Absolutely. Um, one thing I was going to say is what seems to be absent to me. Uh, in this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like journalism environment or um, or media environment, is the lack of representation of how regular people think and the concerns of regular people. And so, you know, for for me, I didn't I didn't go to school. I didn't actually. A lot of people don't know this. I didn't graduate from college. I didn't go to college. I went to tech school. Um, I'm an IT guy by trade. Uh, so, you know the call you over to your desk, help you fix your problem, that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And matter of fact, I wrote like 90% of my book in my office um, while at work during COVID. So, you know, my perspective is of just like a regular working class person who's been through, you know, been poor, been homeless, 
um, built built myself up, uh, struggled, you know, all these different things. So that's why I write so much about my personal struggles because regular people go through stuff. Uh, that's why I talk about my childhood because a lot of people are going through these particular things. And I try to lace it into particular stories that are going on and care for the regular people, regardless of race. Because um, I think we have far more in common than we do different. And we use these minor differences to draw conclusions about people that we don't know and to sort out some sort of difference between each other um, and, and refuse to force us to refuse to see some sort of commonality with each other. And I just started seeing, the more I wrote, the more I paid attention to the news, the more I just like analyze. And as someone who works in IT, you're always trying to problem solve. You're always trying to analyze. You're troubleshooting. And so right. when I talk about stuff, I'm troubleshooting society. I'm troubleshooting politics. Like, how does this make sense? You know, when this happens and this happens, well, then maybe we should do something different because that isn't working. So I'm, I'm trying to have like an IT mindset when it comes to, to politics, but in the end, I'm just a, I'm just a regular person. And I think we, we end up talking so much within a, in a bubble of like these arbitrary people who just do things because society told them to do it and structural this and structural that. And I'm just like, do you even know people? Like they have no idea what you're talking about. Like that, that's not how people operate. People operate off emotions. People operate off of how they were raised, where they were raised, how they grew up. Do you think that everybody in this particular area thinks exactly the same way? How does that make any sense? Like, I just, that's why I talk so much about people who are like the most elitist of elitists who exist in the media environment and how they talk about regular people, how they disregard regular people. Like when Pete Buttigieg didn't go to Ohio after that train derailment, and you're the transportation secretary, how does that make any sense? How is that acceptable? That's not acceptable. This is one of the most, like, <laughs> this is a huge catastrophe. How do you not show up? And then you, you know, you just like slowly trot your way out there a couple of weeks later, like, no, like this, but the, here's the thing. It didn't happen in DC. It didn't happen in New York City. It didn't happen in Los Angeles, right? It happened in the middle of Ohio with a bunch of working class people, or even maybe even some poor people. That's why they didn't care. That's why they didn't show up. And I think there's just not enough talking about that. You know, anytime you try to talk about class, you want to try and make you sound like a Marxist. But there is a class element that, that happens here and that happens in every society. There are the people who have stuff and who don't have stuff. And I'm actually okay if they have stuff. But don't, don't use your power to leverage uh, against other people. Don't use your power to overshadow the concerns of other people who don't have as much as you. And that's what I see. I see progressive ideology as this boutique, wealthy, upper-class elite, uh, new trendy topic to talk about things. Oh, I care about the plight of Black people, the systemic racism that's going on as I, pour, <laughs> as I get my caviar and never <laughs> approach a Black person ever in my life. Like, it's, it's that kind of... Um, you know, it's that kind of aristocrat kind of thinking. But that's the funny kind of thing about it is that I notice very much that there's been kind of this turn. On the one hand, um, on the left, you're kind. Of, you see, there's always been this rhetoric of like we care about poor people, we right. care about the disenfranchised, the you know, all of that, right? 
and yet the actions are very removed from that from the working class even you know unions right where traditionally something and and i'm part of a union you know and i went to a union leadership seminar a while ago which was quite interesting it's very sort of blue call you know blue collar type thing and um they really don't like the elite <laughs> and uh, and yet they vote you know as a block right and they vote uh for leftists, I actually try to change them. Like you, you should vote for policies and not. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I manipulate the whole room. It was great, <laughs> not manipulated, influenced um, for their own benefit, actually. Um, yeah. But um, but it's sort of interesting because um, on the one, because the same people kind of look down on them, and mm -hmm. you see that. Uh, despite what the lip service that's sort of paid in, in practice, there is a very strong condescension that I'm seeing um, because, you know, as we call it now, the laptop class. And you saw yeah. that during the pandemic, especially just really blatantly where there was this utter dismissal of all the people who, you know, really had no choice but to work during these times who who suffered the direst consequences and again i always say like regardless of what you think was the right move or not the dismissal mm -hmm. of it is like uh that is such an illustration of of the sentiment and the lack of understanding because there were so many people that including the ones that i've communicated where they're like well you can just work from home right yeah. well most people have jobs where they can't work from home yeah i had a job where i could work from home i was fine yes yeah but there were a lot of people that were not fine there are a lot of people they're going to be affected by all sorts of policies that and decisions that are being made and they're not being looked at it's it's kind of funny because i i've seen a change in myself even where mm -hmm. i've become much more aware of of <laughs> and caring about sort of the you know the working class or uh, that maybe i had a disconnect with myself but um but it's but it was the group of people that the left seemed to claim to want to represent and had kind of completely abandoned and often mocked and looked down on. And I don't know how that sort of even happened because I don't know that that was always the case, but, um, but that there did seem to be sort of a switch there. I think, because I've asked the question, when did the media start hating us? And us as in just like regular people, because it it yeah. outside of like all right, there's Democrat or Republican, but there was there's a level of and it and it seems to be sharply towards um, progressives or leftists who exist within the media environment who talk down, right? It's not a it's not a well they're wrong about this. It's a it's a it's a level of gaslighting. It's it's talking down to people. It's like oh. Look, look at these people that they don't want to wear a mask. Why? Why, why can't you just work from home? Look how selfish these people are because they want to provide for their families and put food on the table. Just take that money from your, <laughs> take that money from your, your savings that you have, right? You can't, mm -hmm. you can't survive off of your savings. It's, it's stuff like that. They don't realize that most people, not most people, but a lot of people live check to check. And when you shut down their business, 
but you leave Walmart open, but you leave Home Depot open, but you shut down the boutique store, you shut down all these little um, mom and pop shops that employ most people in this country, right? I think we also misunderstand that. Walmart does not employ most of the Americans in this country. Big corporations don't employ most of the Americans. Small businesses do. Yet they targeted small businesses to shut down and left the big box businesses open. That is an attack on the class of people. You know, the, the small businesses, I, I, I remember being in upstate New York and there was a hotel. I think it was, no, it wasn't a hotel. It was some sort of business. It was a, maybe it was like a, a small hotel closed down after being open for like 100 years because of COVID. Survived 100 years. And I'm just thinking yeah. to myself, this, this was by government order. You know, all of these things that would happen was by government order. They picked the winners and the losers and guess who the losers were. And that's the part that that irritates the hell out of me. And that's why I'm actually really glad that the New York Post lets me write stuff like this. <laughs> you know, because I get to like, for example, recently I wrote an article criticizing Cuomo because nothing's going to happen to Cuomo, you know, despite his decisions to. And he's like, well, everybody else did this, which isn't true. But he, mm -hmm. his decision to leave. COVID patients within nursing homes, the most vulnerable population in our country, um, to leave them into nursing homes. Actually, Michigan um, was putting non, like non-elderly people, but they were COVID sick, took them out of hospitals to put them in nursing homes, which should be something that we should all be up in arms about, but no one seems to care. Why? Because the media doesn't report on it. And that's that's my the ultimate problem is this overshadowing of real problems, real concerns that are affecting a lot of people. Um, but for someone like Cuomo, he can do whatever. Oh, you know, it, it was the times we were all panicking. We, you know, we just had to do something. You know, stuff happens. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, in the meantime, thousands of people had died because of it. Thousands upon thousands of loved ones had to deal with this. They watched their loved ones die between a plexiglass. Right. They didn't get to go see their family members in hospitals, yet nothing will ever happen to Cuomo. He'll just, he, he lost his job because he was inappropriate with women, not because he killed old people. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> that, right. That's, that's how crazy this is, so. And it's not like journalists um, are necessarily even the elite class in the sense of like, they're not high earners for the most part. Like a lot of these jobs are not well paid. So it's more of an aspirational thing for the most part. Um, so, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, they are the laptop class in the sense that they can like, they, we, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can work from home and work on a laptop or uh, work in an office, but um, they're not, it's more, it's more the desire maybe to be, you know, part of the elite, to be part of a particular class. I think that's part of it. But if you think of it like this, and I, I don't want to take credit for, for this, but I heard this from somewhere. But like, let's look at Manhattan. Manhattan is a, is a media hub. How much money do you need to live in Manhattan in an apartment? A lot of money. At least 100000 minimum to live in a relative comfort a year minimum. Okay. So yeah. how much how much is like an entry level job at some media? Let's say Vice. Thirty five thousand dollars a year. So how do you make up that gap? Um, you pretty much you can't. So you're 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 living with roommates and you're taking freebies. 
in some cases, or someone is filling in that gap for you. They're the children of the wealthy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is definitely that also happening. Especially when you have like somewhere like, let's say the New York Times. Do they accept people who went to community college? No. No. Well, and they used to, well, also they used to do, I think that practice is now not allowed. I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, mm -hmm. I, but before they used to do school credit internships, right? So you wouldn't even mm -hmm. get paid for internships and in many places it's still the case. And so school credit, so who can afford to take such an internship? Um, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's not just all everybody who works there is wealthy. I think it's much of what you said. It is the aspiration to be be part of that class. I think it's the the glorification of the White House, uh, the correspondence dinner in D.C. Oh, I want to be down there too. Let me yeah. let me hang out with the uh, you know the Secretary of State. Oh my God, you know. And it's like you know you guys are supposed to be criticizing them, not hanging out with them. You know, it, yeah, it, and well, and you lose access. I mean, <laughs> and the thing is, if you, I mean, my area was film, for example, but you know, mm -hmm. I used to get a call, I, I got calls from studios if I gave a bad review for some studios. It's, it's not considered great practice, but like it, it, it did happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you do lose access to certain things if you if you. <laughs> So certainly there are consequences to uh, being honest. So that happens, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, and if you're and a lot of things come out of having contacts and good relationships. Um, and, you know, I worked on the PR side of things, too. I mean, I was a I'm a bit of a different breed and I always was. So, like, you mm -hmm. know, I, I always encourage people to just tell the truth. So if I worked with journalists, just if they didn't like something, just don't like something. I never made a comment about it. And there's a lot of people like that. I mean, that, that, that follow, follow the same philosophy. So it's not like I'm the only one like that. Uh, but there are people who uh, will uh, bestow consequences on someone and people know that. And so, and they cooperate and they play the game too. So there is mm -hmm. definitely a, a fair bit of corruption on that front as well. Yeah. Um, so and even outside of like purposeful corruption or anything like that, mm -hmm. um, and I'll even be honest from personal experience, it becomes harder to criticize the people that you've actually got to meet. Right? True. The yeah. If it's a friend. Developed. Yeah. yeah. It, it becomes very difficult. So that's why I've met some, I met some notable people. I've become friendly with some. And it becomes very difficult because then you find yourself kind of like defending them a little bit or withdrawing what you really want to say because you have some sort of personal relationship with them. So it's it's a very fine line. It becomes very, very hard. Um, like it, it's kind of double-edged because you'll hear criticism from someone who doesn't know them uh, say something about them. You're like, no, this person's not like that because I've, I've met them and I, I know them. Yeah. I know way more about them. But then at the flip side is when something may be valid, it's hard to to criticize it and talk about it publicly. Um, 
So it, it becomes very tough when you have a little bit too much access when you're a little It's bit true. There are people that I don't criticize because I'm friends with them, you know, because yeah. I do see that as as kind of a betrayal. Uh, even though I do have criticisms of them and there um, you know, and there are people whose work I won't um, you know, critique because I have uh, personal connections with them, so I just kind of mm -hmm. take them off the list. Um, so things like that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean, uh, but it's true. It's, complex. It, it's, it's very complex. And I, I recognize it. That's why I say, uh, don't go to the correspondence dinner. Like <laughs> you should, you should have some sort of separation. Um, it, it's because you want to be able to, you want to be able to rightfully wag your finger at power. I, yeah. th that's, that's how I kind of see it. You want to be able to say, you know what, like for me, I write opinion columns. And hopefully a good amount of people read them and you never know who reads them. But outside of that, I don't have a lot of power, but the one thing I have is the ability to write and express how I feel and on a bigger platform to wag my finger at someone that we're not wagging my, their finger at that deserves a finger wagging. And when you're too close to it and you're kind of, you make excuses for it, or you're just kind of like, well, you know, I, I do want to get access to this thing. It just mm -hmm. makes it so, so much uh, more difficult. And I, I think that there's a lot more, it, it's something that I became more and more aware of the, the longer I've been doing this. There's a lot of schmoozing and there's a lot of relationships that are being built and those relationships kind of hinder that criticism that we actually need the public needs. We do need the criticism of certain people at the right time. So I'm just, I'm being mindful of, of certain things. You definitely want to network you definitely want to pick and choose your battles, but when you become close, it becomes extremely difficult. And I don't think regular, now it's, you know, people outside it's true. Of this understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Though uh, on the same way, like sometimes those relationships can get help you get answers to questions that that you somebody else might not get because they you build trust with them too. Right. So so it can work, you know, both ways. And that's why I said it's, it's quite complex. Like I have relationships with certain organizations. They know they can trust me not to ban the truth and be fair to them. So I can get, I can get away with asking pretty uh, serious questions. They might not trust another journalist with, um, you know, and I recently have used that card. <laughs> I was yeah. surprised that they were willing to answer those questions, but I was able to ask, pose those questions. Um, but, you know, someone else may have not been able to even get near asking the same questions. So that's right. kind of where it becomes, I'm not friends with the organization, you know, I'm not, I don't have a personal relationship. I don't, you know, strive to do that. But um, what, now once it, it, but when it does become that personal relationship, right? Where if I went out and uh, had drinks with those people, which also happens and things like that certainly do, and that may endanger, say, that person's job, a story that I do or something like that. Yeah, that, that becomes way more complex because maybe I yeah. like that person. I don't want them to get fired, but maybe they did do something that's maybe puts their job on the line. You know, that's, you know, I might, being the personality that I am, unless what they did is so awful that it hurts a lot of humans, you know, I might choose that person over the, so it, it just becomes, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really tricky. It's really complex. Yeah. And, and you have to figure out what, 
what is more important in that situation. So yeah, Absolutely. maybe if I was covering politics, you know, and my job was to hold people's uh, feet to the fire. Yeah. The, the white house correspondence dinner may not be the, the best idea, especially if, if, you know, if I was doing anything, but just eating the food, you know, <laughs> where I cared about that invitation, you know, I, yeah. it's important to be very honest with yourself under these situations. And if it, if it in any way your integrity is is um, at any kind of risk or even the perception of it, um, that 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 changes things, I think. Um, you know, kind of going back to the question that uh, what we were sort of discussing a bit earlier. You know, I was thinking about the um, the boycott that was ha happening of the Target, um, <laughs> and how people look at the same thing differently. You know, uh, yeah. so earlier I was reading how Target was um, getting uh, employees were getting threatened and there were also several hoax uh, bump threats uh, happening in Target because of the displays. Mm -hmm. And then today somebody posted how um, there were the displays were uh oh how there was uh the police was worse called because there was a bomb threat uh this time it was uh some of the lgbtq groups because the displays were removed <laughs> <laughs> so and it's funny because i was reading some of the comments because they were like see those leftist groups are evil we're not the same we're nothing the same and i'm like do you just ignore that like literally the week prior, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the one thing I'll say is this. Leftists, the leftist activists, I think many of them are true believers. Many of them think that they're doing the right thing. And I don't think people who oppose them understand that they think that they're doing the right thing. And guess what? You think you're doing the right thing, too. So we have two right fighters who are fighting against each other, one side thinking that the other side is evil, but they both yes. think that they're doing the right thing and they don't understand that perspective. Um, so, you know, if you want to, uh, my, my feelings on boycotts are, if you want to patronize a place, patronize it. If you don't want to patronize it, don't patronize it. Yeah. The, the campaigns to go and target I use Target, but <laughs> the campaigns to, to go after um, certain certain companies because they're doing X, Y, and Z, just don't go there. Just don't, don't, don't. If 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 this is how you feel, like if if you don't want to drink Bud Light, whatever, then don't drink Bud Light. To be honest with you, I didn't know people drank Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrible beer. I mean, yeah, in my in my opinion, not slander yeah. in the company. I I, I think it's. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think most of our computers are pretty trash, but that's just my yes. opinion. I, um, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't want to drink it, then don't drink it. But the, you know, it's it's just hilarious because I've seen prominent people be like, I guess the leftists were right. Boycotts work. <laughs> yes. Like, All right. Sure. Okay. If that's, if, if by, if by going down the path of the very people that you claim to hate and despise, by doing the same exact thing that they're doing is that if that's winning then sure go ahead and keep winning but to me what i really think is just like how they're going after dylan mulvaney uh, 
um is it doom of amy yeah the, the, okay i i was i was thinking of like this this uh washington dc guy and i was like no that's that's a different person um <laughs> but if you want to go after him and and get him removed and, and stuff like that these are the most useless and smallest of wins that i could see possible let's say if budweiser or bud light goes down or whatever for how long how do you think like bud lights is going to disappear no guess what you're going to get tired and the boycott's going to be over and then they're going to move on to the next thing um esg still exists and they're still going to adhere to that they have i don't know how much that you are in pr how much money that they spend on PR, how many lawyers that they have, how many different strategists that they have. Having one bad person who was in marketing, who had a bad marketing campaign, guess what? They'll be the sacrificial lamb to fire them and bring in a new person. You won't even care who the new person was because you're so hooked on. We got the, this one fired. And mm -hmm. the, the next one could be just as woke as the other way. You'd have no idea, nor do you care. These are the most small and useless wins and what annoys me is that there are certain people, and by the way, I will keep saying certain people because I will not name drop and use certain names because it becomes about that person and not about the action. But there are certain people who have made minimal gains. Everybody applauds them. And then so they are held as, well, they know what they're doing. And then that person says, I know what I'm doing. We did this. Oh, you did that one thing that was inevitable to happen anyways. Like it, it's, I think, I think the best way to learn is by sitting back and watching. And I sit back and watch and I learn at how foolish people really are. It doesn't matter their political leanings. There's fools everywhere, right? And I'm not the smartest mm -hmm. person in the world, but I'm smart enough to shut the hell up and sit back and watch <laughs> and learn from the mistakes of other people. Well, they're saying, okay, well, look, uh, with Target, the stock dropped, right? And I looked at it uh, at that, and I'm like, well, the stock was actually dropping. It might have, it might have hurt the stock more, but mm -hmm. the stock for Target was already dropping. And when I said that, you know, I got annihilated because she's not <laughs> ready to accept the truth. Look at that coping. I'm like, okay, okay, so you don't care, um, yeah. but about the truth. But um, but with that, okay, maybe maybe when people constantly push back. Maybe you do see some cultural changes, but at the same time, uh, or, or strategic changes in the marketing, uh, if, 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 if indeed the stock was to fall back in every time, which I don't know that that would be the case. But to me, it's also like, while well, you're claiming that you want choice, you want freedom, but then you don't, because it is freedom to choose whether you want to support a, a company or not, right? Like if you mm -hmm. don't want to drink Bud Light, don't drink Bud Light. If you don't want to go purchase from Target, don't go purchase from Target. Don't watch movies they don't like. Like that's all fine. I'm I have no zero issue with that. Totally mm -hmm. makes sense. Purchase, don't purchase. Um, doesn't align with your values or whatever. That is completely your choice, your freedom, your business. But when you're uh, attacking others for purchasing from these companies, when you're trying to lead entire boycotts, yeah, you are using the weapons and the tools that you've just criticized. And then the things that I hear when I sort of criticize that, they say, well, those are your rules. You invented them. Like, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> well, A, I, I take who, no credit for this. <laughs> but, so, so who's coping now? When someone says that, who's coping now? 
Like, oh, well, these are your rules. We're just living by them. So you have no principles. So you're you're the one. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, some people need to understand that a win doesn't mean it's always a win. Sometimes a win is a loss. Uh, You know, moving moving past your supposed principles. Who does that help? Does that does that really help you? Because in a month, everybody will forget about Target. They'll move on to the next thing. That's how quick the cycle moves. To the new and target. They'll move to the new target. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, they'll move on to Home Depot. I don't know. Who, who knows? They'll move on to some retailer. You know, actually, to be to be honest with you, part of the problem is that corporations listen to the most fringe and minority of voices. If I went to, I'd like to do the, my mother test. If I went to my mother and told her, did you know people are boycotting Target? She would likely say, no, why would they boycott Target? She has no idea. Most people have no idea this thing is happening. And the, the concept that Target's, <laughs> Target's profits are dipping because a fringe 5% of the population is on Twitter. And even in political Twitter is a fraction of that. So yeah. the, the fraction of people who are on Twitter and some people who are outside of Twitter are causing enough of a disruption for for Target for the stock market, which is a different entity, right? Which isn't necessarily based on sales, it's based on speculation and all this other stuff. You mean that you guys, the most fringe upon fringe, are causing the to dip down? It's much in the same way where you would see the corporations react because 13 people on Twitter complain to their to the corporation's Twitter account, and then some some BuzzFeed would pick up massive outrage over blah, blah, blah. And then everybody's reacting to like a handful of people who would complain about something stupid. Like it's, that's that's been a much bigger problem, especially since uh, the growth of so, uh, social media over the past decade, where corporations and companies just care about the most like minute of it. Just be like, then don't buy our shit. Like, especially. <laughs> they don't want to be controversial in any way. They are afraid that it's it's sort of the same way where um, at some point I had a slightly very short lived political career. But like mm-hmm. um, politicians are told, like a, if you work at a MLA office or something like that, like a member of parliament, like if you get a letter, that letter represents the opinion of like a thousand people, basically. So corporations, I think, take that same kind of idea and they think well that one tweet represents so many tweets um and it's it's the same like but some of them have found that like if they just ignore it like for example i remember a while ago it was like trader joe's right trader joe uh was um i forget what they were under fire was some product of theirs and they chose to just like ignore and nothing what happened nothing they yeah. won. And that's usually the course of action. Even with me, like recently, I was like, uh, I just had a tweet, uh, got attacked. It was, uh, <laughs> it seems to, that seems to happen more often these days. Um, yeah. So this was a tweet of this woman. Uh, she happens to be a Muslim woman who is um, uh, her kids. She's cheering on her kids as they uh, stump out a pride flag. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't comment on the fact that she was Muslim or anything. I just said this woman is saying, you know, leave her kids alone as she's basically cheering on her kids at a, you know, rally, uh, stomping out a pride flag, which they're too young to even understand what they're doing. 
Right. And uh, me sharing it had nothing to do with the fact that she was Muslim, but a bunch of people were trying to like start a, a race thing. And I was like, my normal reaction would be like, well, I'm like, I didn't even say anything about her being Muslim. It has nothing to do with her being Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was smarter this time around and I was just like, okay, you know what? These people, they're just starting something out of nothing. I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. And that is the right approach. Like when people just come after you for over nothing, it's nonsensical. It is kind of the best approach to just give them no air, no yeah. oxygen. And then it gives them, then it doesn't grow into anything because their whole point is to disrupt, to, to blow something out of proportion. And I think most of the time you're better off just not giving them the oxygen that they're looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mute stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. Today. Yeah. Yeah. I muted something today because um, it was, I think it was the most ridiculous thing is uh, uh, he's probably from, it looks like he was probably from Africa, but he was in Germany. He's on a train and he's eating out of a plate and he's eating with his hands and he's eating. And I was like the, the original person who posted the tweets, like, um, like it's the downfall of Western civilization. And I said, you know, I'm not for one. I'm not one for illegal immigration, um, mass immigration. It, if it makes no sense, like, but this, this is this is the hill you want to die on. The man's eating. He's not bothering anybody. Yet someone decided to to film him. Why? Because he's eating in a different way than you're used to eating. But he's eating, and it, and it just became like a, a lot of them were Brit, uh, British people, especially. Mm -hmm. um, they have a different victim complex uh, lately because they think that there are countries they're being, being saturated out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's just, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm just like, this is stupid. Like, like, well, someone said to me, well, it, would you be okay if you, uh, if they ate out of a toilet bowl? And I was like, what are, what are the people? <laughs> the, but he's not eating out of his toilet bowl. He's on a train. He's eating with his hands. Guess what? You live in the West and you eat from your hands all the time. Like, what are you talking about? You grab when you, you open chips. up your chips. You eat chips, yeah. don't you? I was like, you eat from your hands all the time. So why are you making like this sound utterly, you know, utterly terrible? And it's and it's because it's really not about him eating uh, that no, food. No, it's not. It, and. And that's that's the point I'm trying to make because I'm point I'm all right. You want to the man's eating, and you're saying it's the downfall of civilization, and I'm pointing out why are you actually doing this? Because I'm talking about the eating, but you guys aren't talking about the eating, and I know that you're not talking about the eating, and so the the logical people will come in and say, yeah, uh, looks like good food, right? <laughs> you know, I might ask him what's, what's in that. And then the rest of the people, they're not talking about the eating. That you know, this is, I hate to say it, like xenophobia kind of kind of nonsense because someone is doing something different than the way you do. And so I made a follow-up tweet that said, uh, basically, you know, people in the West love to talk about how people come to their countries and and they hate it when they don't assimilate. But you guys are some of the worst people when you go to other countries, even temporarily on vacation, you do not attempt to assimilate whatsoever. 
you, you can't even go on a vacation without going into a hive for Americans and Westerners. Like, let's go to Jamaica. But no, 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 not Jamaica. Let's go to the resort that's catered to the Westerners who want to come there so they can feel safe and they, everybody speaks English. Like, you guys can't even do that on a temporary basis. Nevertheless, go to another country. I don't. Are you into soccer or football or? Uh, well, not into, but I'm aware of the sports. You're, you're aware of? <laughs> so, like, one of the things I'm really into to football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. But one of the things that's very known is that with, when there's big British players, English, uh, Welsh, or whatever, when they go abroad outside of any non-English speaking country, they do not assimilate whatsoever. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's very known. So that's why the vast majority of those other countries do not have English players. <laughs> they do not. And we, we're talking about a, an economy of Europe as an economy of, of footballers. But yes, mm -hmm. like it's like 90 plus percent of the English players play within England. But you can go to these you can go to England. And go to a team. It's filled with people from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched Ted Lasso, so oh, very yeah, well. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you see, you see all these people who take the effort to learn. But I, I know, I almost moved to Germany years ago. I know, I learned a lot about the expats. The expats go and live amongst other expats, and people want to be like, see that they have I little know. Italy and Chinatown that come to our country. I was like, that's everywhere. Everybody does. I'm that. very well aware. <laughs> I'm, uh oh. <laughs> like I'm, uh, I'm a big believer actually of like if you travel somewhere, especially mm -hmm. for more than a day or two, you have the responsibility to learn a little bit, at least a little bit of the language, like uh, just to be polite, just to be able to ask, hey, do you speak English in that language? Mm -hmm. a, a few very basic things. I do think that when you're an immigrant, you have the responsibility to assimilate because you come in into a new country, you should take on um, the culture. I think you should also, you know, you, you also have your background and that's part of you right. as well. Um, so I don't like when, um, I mean, I'm an immigrant, so, so I'm allowed to say this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do think that, um, you know, uh, you should learn the language or strive to learn the language as best as you can. It's not gonna be perfect, mm -hmm. especially if you came at a certain age, it's harder to learn. Um, you know, you're gonna, there are places like where I live, where people don't learn their language, it's easy not to, because there's a lot of people of the same, and they, they don't, there's places where there's just no English signs. And I just, I don't agree with that. But mm -hmm. there's also people who come and they do their best and and they learn and they assimilate, but they also keep a lot of their cultures. And that's cool. That's like part of uh, what makes countries like the U.S. or Canada quite special. Um, that on the one hand, we have our different cultures or different backgrounds. And on the other hand, we also come in and we take on certain values and traditions that are new our new our new culture right like we do believe right. in a certain sense for example of freedom uh that maybe the countries that we come from didn't have and so i am a big believer in that um and so you know so you don't you know you don't bring your whole you know if you come from north korea not that a lot of people some people <laughs> do luck you know the lucky few escape they don't want to come to you know america and, and have a authoritarian regime right mm -hmm. so and just speak 
one language, but, you know, but hey, maintain your food, your culture and, and, you know, your language, but also take on the language of the new country that you, you now call home. So that's kind of yeah. my belief on, on sort of immigration, let's say. Well, I, I agree with that. So my thing is this, I'm, I'm very understanding and compassionate person. So, and I'm also really big on psychology, human behavior. Outside of immigration, try to get someone to change a behavior that they've been doing their entire life, just anything. It is extremely difficult for them to do. Even if you know that it's bad for them to do it, and they know, they consciously know, but try to get them to do it, it is extremely difficult for them to change that behavior pattern, right? Something that has been so normal for you, let's say eating, out of oh yeah like, i i don't count that by the way yeah. as i'm like that's okay i mean if i might find it like a little unusual right if i saw that but it's not something right. that i'm gonna be like okay that person is still eating it's not affecting me in any way it's not changing mm -hmm. like okay so that person is eating as long as they're not touching things around me that it's going to affect me and make them sticky surfaces like i don't care uh sure. so so for them to point that out in that way i see exactly what that for what it was so right. that's not uh, acceptable to me but um I'm talking more about like uh, much more substantial things and that yeah. I think plays a much bigger role. But when you're talking about little things like that, or somebody maybe wearing something that's like of their culture, like right. that's totally different. That is actually interesting. There's somebody I worked with. He, his wife would make these like African um, inspired kind of clothing. And I thought they were like enormously cool. And I actually, uh, I wanted, I was hoping that she would start selling them, which I think she might at some point, because they're really interesting and cool. Um, and I think, again, that contributes to the richness of our society to have all these multicultural, or like different cultures, but they become part of our culture. And, right. and they come where I'm more concerned is that, um, they are also part of our incorporate our values and that we can speak a common language. That's where yeah. I think it's important that we come kind of come together. Other things, you know, I see them as cool quirks, diversities, eccentricities, uh, fab cultural elements that kind of contribute to right. where we are. Yeah. I, I agree with that, but I also, I also understand that inevitably culture changes. Cultural mm -hmm. changes, and I, I was saying to someone, part of that thread, you know, like you know, when they come to America and and assimilate to our culture, I was like, what does our culture even mean? Because America is not the same as a hundred years ago. You are nothing no. like an America from the 1920s. You you don't dress the same. You don't even speak the same. We don't even speak the same English the same way a uh, hundred years ago, and so culture always changes. It, changes for from a multitude of influences the food that you eat the clothes the type of clothes that you wear the spices and 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 so on and so forth like all of these things are contributions to your culture right they're not something that takes away from it and you so you have to find ways that adapts to it like you said a common language makes sense you want to be able to communicate with each other yeah but there are but there are countries that have multiple that people speak multiple languages they, they kind of have like a weird i don't know what the official language is mm. Um, 
and somehow they they work. Usually they're smaller countries. I think if that happens, I think if that happens kind of organically and slowly, it's less yeah. of an issue. I think it becomes an exactly. issue for people when it's like quick. Yeah. What that and that's that's exactly it. People notice rapid change, they don't notice slow change. Um, yeah. it's like the example of Facebook. Facebook made a, a massive change, everybody freaked out, they put it back, and over time they made slow changes and added exactly what they wanted to before. And no one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the problem. I think when, um, say, even with immigration, like if you have even the same amount of immigrants from the same group of people over a longer period of time, probably nobody is going to notice. But if you do it mm -hmm. over the same, like, yeah, because there's less time to adjust, uh, assimilate all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But if it was the same amount over a longer period of time, nobody really cares. But also, like, it depends on the country. Like, um, we care less. We're more used to having immigration, say, from different uh, countries in Canada or the U.S., but, say, people in Japan are far less used to that. They have right. very strict immigration policies because they want to maintain uh, the culture and it's so much more acceptable there. Uh, and we kind of accept that that's okay. Whereas here we consider it fairly racist <laughs> to not mm -hmm. allow more diverse kind of, uh, or more uh, open immigration policies. It's kind of interesting how we also like have different tolerance levels for other countries and how they might want to uh, allow or not allow versus our own. And, right. and same with, I guess, the UK, which I kind of get, I mean, I, <laughs> I disagree with how, you know, this whole situation, because I think there is a lot of racism in it, but yeah. uh, what you brought up, but um, I also understand where some of the people are coming from, uh, some of the more legitimate concerns that people might have, but also like it is very blended in with also a level of racism. So it's like, um, and, and that's what happens a lot with the issues too. Like there's issues that I think are legitimate and there are issues where it's like racist or with the trans conversations, kind of the same thing. It's like, there are mm -hmm. legitimate issues within this conversation. And then there is actually truly transphobic people or, or, or views, uh, mixed in. And so it becomes really difficult sometimes to have these discussions because every, <laughs> the people who kind of get into that, um, you know, sometimes the people with the more radical viewpoints make it really difficult to have really legitimate, uh, discourse about these topics. Oh yeah. For you sure. just need to exclude them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, this is why this is why it's important to have rational people willing to say rational things, um, yeah, because they what ends up happening is I, I call some of these people chaos agents. Chaos agents make you feel okay. like you're the radical, right? Mm -hmm. When in reality they're actually the crazy people, because most people agree with our stance on these particular things. Yeah. But whether they're on the left or the right, but they're they. There are a lot of influencer types who have zero interest in having a cohesive society, even though they say they want a cohesive society. They do the complete opposite of what they say. Same thing that happens on the left. You know, I, I, I support black people, but as soon as a black person does something they don't like, well, you know what, they're not really black and they go after them. You know, so right. it's, I look at what people are doing, not what they're saying. And by the actions of certain people, you are 
literally creating the environment that you said you're against. You know, you're saying that you want America to prosper, but you're doing everything possible to cause chaos within a prosperous nation. Um, I also see confusing narratives. I see people who say America is the greatest country in the world, but truly believe that this next election will determine if America will survive. <laughs> so how does the greatest nation end because of one president? And and this is all, this also goes, we didn't really talk about this before, but like, um, by the way, this feels like a therapy session because I don't get to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this reminds me of, um, you know, Trump brought a lot of people into politics in 2016. I've talked to them. I wasn't into politics until Trump. And then now, th so their, their political reference starts at 2016. My political reference starts back, I would say, even just a little bit back to 9-11 when I was in mm -hmm. high school. Just being aware of what was going on and then the protests that followed and then the re-election. And I remember the, the re-election for George W. Bush Diddy was out, vote or die. That was the slogan. Um, you know, this election will determine if America will, will survive. And, and guess what? He was reelected, nothing changed. Like, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> that kind of same tactic that you see over and over. They always make this election be the, it, this is the election. This is the most profound election I've ever. And, and what happens when it doesn't go your way? Nothing really happens that different. You know, the worst thing that happened since Joe Biden has been in office and has been immigration um, and the gas price hike, that those are the big oh, inflation. I'll say that. So I'm not saying he's been a good president, but can we recover from these things? Yeah, we could recover from these things. Um, are we recovering from these things? Probably in some ways, maybe not the inflation part um, and the immigration part is an issue, but the gas prices are down. So they, whatever they did brought that down. I guess what I'm more so getting at is there's just there's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of um, nihilism that exists on the right. And I don't understand it when in the very next breath, they would talk about how great this country is. I, I, so what makes this country great? No one asks that question. Not enough people ask why or have mm -hmm. a follow -up question to the statement. I've talked about how there are people who are on the right. Uh, prominent people who will say stuff like, we need to stop the deep state. Yeah, and a I lot. Say, how? How? How, 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 do, how do me and you, who have no power, how do we yeah. stop the deep state? And We need well, to defund yeah, the FBI. Right, defund the FBI. Like, I actually, so I have a friend Like, defund the police. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, defund the police actually has more plausibility than the, defunding the FBI. Um but I asked, I asked a friend of mine who's, who's running for Congress, um, she almost won, but I was asking her, like, logically speaking, just answer me this question, how could a president defund the FBI? Like, is that, is that even possible? Is it remotely possible? And we were just going through, like, well, Congress can, controls the budget. Maybe they could completely just wipe out the budget for it. That's like a really extreme matter for Congress to agree upon to get rid of the budget for the FBI. That's one way, like that's extremely unlikely that would even happen. Like we're just trying to run through these things, but the, the president is not the king of America. He can't just say FBI gone, DOJ gone. Like, and and also to act like the FBI um, 
because there are some people like, like let's say Comey, Comey politicized the FBI and amongst others, let's say those people at the top. So because those handful of people at the top exist who are pulling the strings and doing things they shouldn't be doing, that means the entirety of the FBI is useless. Like to me, it, it's throwing the baby out of the bathwater. Maybe the FBI has some purpose. It reminds me of the leftists. They say, get rid of ICE. And as you do realize that ICE is the single biggest um, uh, investigative and investigative body when it comes to child trafficking. Like they have a really big purpose. <laughs> it's not just rounding up people who shouldn't be in the country. They're stopping child trafficking. You know, th there are real there are real issues that are happening in this country that people don't see. They don't realize. They don't even think about. And they're only focused on the thing that makes them uh, concerned that that benefits them. Well, it's very all or nothing, and it's also yeah. very much a lack of understanding of the complexity of these organizations, where it takes, and and it's like you said, it's it's the agents of chaos, where mm -hmm. it's very simplistic. It's a slogan. You say defund the police, defund FBI, get rid of the FBI, uh, take care, let's get rid of the deep state, deep state is bad, enemy, enemy. Um, none mm -hmm. of this really means anything. You can't really do anything. These are some, these are really meaningless statements, ultimately. But they sure. rile up people and they gather uh, a following often for the people making these kinds of statements. And that's kind of the frustrating thing is like people aren't uh, looking really for solutions to me <laughs> they exactly strike <laughs> right they're looking for to rile people up to their to their side and for what right for ultimately for what to me it seems because they're not going to make a real change that's going to really do anything positive because as we've sort of established none of this is is actionable right like if you really yeah. wanted to uh, make action then you would maybe lobby for maybe more transparency within the FBI would come up with some kind of a concrete plan for some mm. kind of an oversight committee, right? Something like that. But that's not what they're doing. So what's the goal there? Well, the goal seems to be to amass as many, well, if you're doing it on Twitter, it seems to amass as many hits and likes and, or have your media, you know, have donations come in for you and uh, have, you know the dopamine <laughs> yeah. and 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 have clout and and power of influence but you're not even really influencing anything that's going to do anything so it's just it's it's empty and there's also a lot of uh, from what i've noticed you know as much as you said and i'm going to ask you this question in a second what makes america mm -hmm. great uh but i'm also but there's a lot of people who on the one hand say, claim to like america uh but also a lot of people who just say negative things about America, like they really go criticize America. They're like, America's bad, 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 while at the same time saying, you know, we're patriots. We're It's great. <laughs> uh, that's what I've noticed. There's just so much hate directed towards everything America. Like, look at how, except maybe, you know, because, you know, the liberals are destroying it, I guess. Or it's, it. it's because of all the evil leftists, right? But it's going yeah. to be so much better once we've taken over, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's 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 now so Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but, you know, as soon as the liberals are out, uh we're, we're done with them. It will be heaven on earth. Um, despite the fact that, you know, um, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's not like Republicans haven't been in power 
(laughs) So I haven't seen it substantially change. Like I've lived in in New York for many years and I I can't say that I've seen like, um, you know, obviously during the pandemic things I think have gotten worse, but like I haven't seen like a huge difference between uh, different governments in power. So (laughs) I can't say that like, I've been so affected depending on, on who was in power. So yeah. anyways, what makes America great in your view? Um, what makes America great? I think a lot of Americans have a, have a healthy mindset when it comes to ambition. Um, and I think generally, not people on Twitter per se, but like regular people, uh, <laughs> I think generally speaking, most people want others to do well. Um, and they we're, we're, we love the, we love the uh, upper mobility story, you know, the perseverance story, overcoming obstacles. Um, you know, one of the things, because I mentioned before, I, I almost moved to Germany. I'm glad I didn't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, done one, one, all of this and met my wife. Um, but one of the things I started realizing when I was, I was going to go towards Germany and then after it fell through, I was going to take a job there. But afterwards, I was thinking about, am I focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to wanting to leave America? And I started looking at, like, I, I, look, I think I was looking at the shiny stuff. So like in Western Europe, a lot of places is like uh, by default, four to six weeks of vacation time. You know, you, you look at that, it's great work-life balance. You look at all that and say, okay, cool. But then I started like looking at some of my friends who live out in Europe, you know, who are European. And I'm like, I noticed that a lot of them like live in very small spaces, have roommates. They don't have a lot of cash. And then I started when I, like you said, talking to Uber drivers, when I would go out to I think the last time I was in Berlin, I was talking to a taxi driver and he was talking about how the the German government kind of sets up people where it kind of penalizes them once they reach a certain amount of money per month. So it's like, well, if you go past that, you get hit with a really hard tax penalty. So why even do that? So, So it's like it's incentivizing a certain level of mediocrity, but it just kind of across the board where everybody is kind of about the same, um, unless you're in certain profession, professions like a doctor or something like that, where you make more, but not, not a, you know, a ton more. Um, so it's like, we wouldn't have that here. Like that, that sounds very un-American where we would purposely set up a hurdle like that, um, at least that exaggerative, um, and everybody just okay with it. Um, I talked to a friend of mine in Germany who was like, out, you know, he was thinking about starting a business, but the hurdles to do that. And I'm like, really, I can go online right now and get a, <laughs> go to the IRS and get a, uh, you know, a tax ID about 15 minutes. Like that's how easy it is to start a business here, uh, you know, unless you have something more intricate. So it's just there's there's a level of the ability to succeed within our borders. Um, you know, I've worked in IT, but I don't have a college degree. If I, I realized this afterwards, but in Germany, that's like a standard. You have to have a degree. Why? Well, because college is free and everybody goes to college. Mm-hmm. So 
I would probably be that guy. You, you, we always hear these stories like, I was a surgeon in Iran. And I had to come here and I'm a janitor, <laughs> you know, because they, it, it doesn't translate. And it's the same thing here. I, I literally do the same job as everybody else who has a college degree, and I sometimes do it better, yet I'd be penalized because I don't have that college degree in Germany. That doesn't make any sense to me. I have the skill set. I have the, the background. So I just started, I started looking at all these things instead of from like a tourist, you know, shiny hill kind of thing. I want to try something different. But from a reality of that, I have more likely, I, I have a better likeness of um, succeeding in America because the United States sets up for people to succeed. It, it really does in many ways. Now, are there hurdles? Yes, absolutely. But as, as a child of a single parent, who was homeless multiple times as a kid, who was homeless once as an adult, who's gone from uh, making, you know, a single digit dollar an hour to low double digit dollar an hour to uh, 20 something dollars and losing my job and starting all over again to do all this stuff to be where I'm at today. I don't know if I'd be able to do that in other places. Um, you know, that's just my speculation. Otherwise, why do so many people want to come here? And I, I think we have to ask ourselves that people see something special in the United States that I think a lot of Americans take for granted. They just don't see it because it's so evident here that it exists. Um, I do think that we have we have a gap in appreciation for things that are just normal. And you don't realize it until you leave the country. Or if you can't leave the country, talk to people who are from other countries to understand what they go through. There's a lot of people who go through a lot of struggle and a lot of suffering who come to this country and feel indebted to this country because of what it provided for them. And I think there's something about that that we're not, we don't, I, I just don't think we really appreciate that perspective. And I think it will humble a lot of people if they actually saw it from an immigrant's eyes um, or if they just got off their ass, get their passport and go somewhere else, that they'll see that things are different. Even if they went to Europe, parts of Europe are different. And you'll be yeah. like, man, I, I like this, but they don't have that here. Yeah, th things. Yeah, not the world is not the same everywhere. Some things aren't better. Some things are just different. Um, and I just so you think the American dream is still alive? I think the American dream is possible. I think it's more possible here than in other places, which, which sets up hurdles, especially from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Um, you know, like I, I remember talking to people who are out in the UK, there's a class element to, to, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder, which doesn't really exist here in the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a little bit different. So yes, there are people who are poor who can who can climb up and become millionaires. It happens all the time. We don't have the we, as much as people in America like to say that we have like this six generations of wealthy wealthy people. Like like everybody who's a millionaire today is a Rockefeller or something. No, a, most millionaires today are new millionaires. That's yeah. the reality. And, and I, I just wish the narrative would shift to a level of appreciation about this country because other people who aren't here see it for sure. 
Well, as somebody who comes from a, who is an immigrant and comes from an immigrant family, I, I definitely tend to agree. And I think people do take an awful lot for granted and don't see it through the same, same eyes for sure. Yeah. Um, well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I think uh, I have I have so many more questions for you, so I might have to do more conversations. Um, yeah. I'm just really interested in your life story, so we haven't even gotten into that. So, <laughs> but um, you know, I really hope we can uh, display some of these chaos creators, chaos causers, chasers, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, it's good to find people like you um, to feel a little bit less lonely with. And um, hopefully we can push some of these things a little bit more towards a grounded uh, place so that some of the conversations that we are having, you know, can be grand grounded in reality and reason and, and for people who want to find some commonality uh, some sense, some reason, and in, 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 in not spiral into the radical side of things. It's yeah, been a pleasure absolutely. talking to you. Likewise. I had a good time. Thank you.